Well, so for those who missed it, I am sorry to have to kind of come at you in a podcast. Again, I screwed up the the live stream itself. You're going to get me maybe a little less filtered. On Sunday mornings, I am I am filtered. You're going to get me giving you some comments on other verses, maybe some thoughts I was thinking even as I was preaching. I also have my coffee here mm, that was just brought to me because I'm actually recording this on Sunday afternoon because uh, Monday or Sunday night, I might be doing another episode. And so here's first, when you think about me preaching, I generally have a flow to my introductions. And I don't always... I'm not a big fan, like, I, I just, hey, okay, let's turn to the Bible here because we've got a lot of work to do. Like, that makes me sound, or a, a preacher just, I think it makes us sound sometimes. There are times for that. Other times you just kind of go, come on, man. Like, we don't always have to just jump right into the passage. I, it, it's good to engage people. And so I, I have a flow I use generally. I, I've changed it up from time to time. But now that we have a time of reading, I can come up, and if I give my, hey, how are yous in the morning, or I, I point to somebody, that's fine. But I was making my illust- opening illustration on sacred spaces. We do watch a show called Expedition Unknown. It's a lot of fun uh, to watch as a family, which then led us to this need of sacred rituals, sacred spaces. They're a part of what we do. They're a part of everything that we do. From that, talking about, well, how did Jesus handle the sacred space of the temple, and what did he teach us about it? That's what we see in John 2, 12 through 25. Now, 23, 24, and 25, the end of this passage could have been their own sermon. When I went to a, through a, bu- a buddy of mine who his church had gone through John, they actually set aside 23 through 25 as its own sermon. I didn't do that. I kind of tied it in, and something came to me as I was preaching, and I'm glad I did, honestly. I'll explain that in a moment. So we first have the Jesus' desire in 12 through 17, John 2, 2, 12 through 17, where we first have this transitional statement from verse 12, which can be at the end of last week, or it could be at the beginning of this week. Right? That transitional 2.12 could go up or down. It just depends on how you want to do it. In general, you're not going to spend a lot of time there, but cool little note is Capernaum is, is Peter's hometown where he lives. He has Bethsaida, I believe. We're going to talk about that in chapter one. Uh, he has where he's from, and then he has where he lives. And there's a place you can go. It's like Peter's house in Capernaum. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but but he, you know, you can go see his house or what people say was his house. Uh, that So 12 is this transitional verse. It's right there, kind of near Galilee. Then we have 13 through 17, which is the cleansing of the temple. Now, I highlighted that in the synoptic gospels, the there's a cleansing at the end. And in the... Um, in John, there is a cleansing at the beginning. And what I put in a little footnote, this just comes from the synoptics. I put this for myself. But I said, I said though a minority view, meaning um, people who hold the Bible in high regard aren't the, necessarily the most common folk, it could be, as a plain reading of the text assumes, that there are just two cleansings. John records one of the, in the beginning, Synoptics record one toward the end. And so that, for me, reconciles the tension between when you're reading Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or you might see this different cleansing in the Synoptic Gospels versus what you see in John chapter 2, going after different things. Also, the confusion and the questioning of Jesus in John 2 is different than the hostility that, that was seen in the Synoptics. So, we have a different approach, or a, a, maybe a different cleansing here. Early cleansing versus late. I'm a big fan of there being two. I think that makes sense um, and harmonizes in the sense where, where it harmonizes means it just connects. It doesn't mean you have to make them line up together. Beginning and end of his ministry cleansing. So the point was made that it is not the fact that there are money changers or that there are uh, people selling stuff that is the issue. And in fact, you can. 
be grateful in a sense, if you were a Jewish person coming to worship, that you don't have to bring your sacrifice with you, but you can purchase it there so that you can do it. And there was a specific coin you had to use, a currency to pay a tax. And so there's money changers, there's people you can buy animals from. That's fine. The issue was not that. The issue was that it was taking temple space for what would be worship. Now, I shared about how I have this diagram of the temple in my office. It's actually, I'm staring at it right now. And I bought it in Jerusalem. I think it was in Jerusalem. And it's just a color kind of drawing, a printout of what the temple looked like before the destruction in 70 AD. So roughly 70 uh, you'll see there's a different arch, there's a couple arches there, one to get you into the town, into the temple. There's a place you could come up and wash. There's a, an Antonia, Antonia Fortress, and I believe it's the northwest corner, all there, temples facing east. And the temple itself is a small part of a large piece of property. And so, yeah, you go, hey, well, we're not using this corner over here or this space over here. And we're not sure where in the temple this was actually happening, where the money changing was happening. There's not this confidence of, oh, well, it clearly happened in the court of the Gentiles or in the court of women. or in the like, it, We don't know where it was, but it would make sense that it happens more toward the outside. But even then, the issue as Jesus is cleansing the temple is there's no room for that in his father's house. There's no room for that in his father's house. His disciples recall from Psalm 69.9, the statement of zeal will consume me. And he's, again, the Psalms, as you, as you look, the Psalms are often drawing from, you know, the, especially when they're seen messianically, they're looking at statements that, was made by, that were made by the psalmist that seem more fully understood when you consider Jesus. And, and so there's this kind of immediate fulfilling, like a a little F fulfilling, and a big F fulfilling. I'm saying big F, but, you know, a big F fulfilling that is larger, and that comes in Christ. So Jesus clears them out, which you see this connection. I, I referenced Malachi 3, 1 through 4, and and that there is this idea that when John the Baptist prepares the way, the you know, or the, the messenger prepares the way, then somebody comes into the temple and cleans, cleanses it. And we see that Malachi 3, 1 through 4. And so made a link going, it could be that this is a part of the ministry of Jesus, but not the full one because we have yet to see this total cleansing. Um, but the whole point being pure worship, undefiled worship is there. Now Jesus in the second section is questioned. He's questioned by the religious leaders. And they're going, to go, what are you doing? Why do you have this kind of authority? And that's when Jesus throws him a curveball because he says, destroy this temple. This is verse 19. And in three days, I will raise it up. Well, they, of course, would say it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You read any commentary or footnote, and it's going to say temple took longer than 46 years to make. But that wasn't the point. Like, it took 46 years to get it to this point of operability, right? Like, so that's, that's, that's the idea. You're using it, you're still constructing it while you're using it. And so they had the statement where they just didn't understand. And, and, and to harp on the idea here that the understanding of what Jesus is saying is given by God. It's not given just by man. And you can see many times, both in the disciples and in those who are curious about Jesus and the religious leaders, where they hear him, but they don't hear him. They think they know what's going on, but they don't know what's going on. And in fact... 
John makes this commentary. He was speaking about the temple of his body, but in verse 22 he goes, when he was raised from the dead, that's when his disciples remembered what he said and believed the scripture that he would that he'd spoken. So the disciples even don't fully understand what Jesus is saying here. They don't fully get it. Now, that's, I said, I shared in the sermon, that's a great comfort to me because it means that I don't have to be an expert in all things. I'm, I'm just continuing to follow, and as I continue to follow, things start to connect better. So I referenced Psalm 1610 as a potential for what scripture could have been brought to mind as they were doing this, as they were uh, sharing, I guess, um, as they were sharing about what scripture, the, the scripture came to mind. Psalm 1610 reads like this, uh, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, there are times in the Bible, I'm going to try and pull these up uh, for us. Let's see if I can grab it real quick. I'm actually just cutting and pasting this from something online. I'm going to throw it into my Bible software. Uh, Acts chapter 2, okay? Acts chapter 2, this is Peter's speech. Acts chapter 2, 25 through 20, we'll do through, well, sure, uh, through 32. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, skip 28, just because, but verse 29, now Peter begins to share. I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So you have Peter, a guy who remembered what Jesus said back toward the beginning of his ministry, and he's going, oh, wait a second, right? He's teaching from Psalms about how he goes, well, look, David David died and was buried. His tomb's with us. So he clearly was speaking about something else. He was speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we're all witnesses. That's Peter. Paul in Acts chapter 13 says, therefore, he is also uh, says also another psalm. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he served his purpose, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So Peter and Paul both look at Psalm 16 as an understanding of, of the resurrection. They're arguing from Psalm 16 in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13 that this is the scripture, for example, right? So John doesn't reference the scripture. Many of your footnotes will reference Psalm 1610 as the scripture that might have been called to mind. And so we see that transition and going, oh, Jesus is talking about the temple of his body. Now, this is important. Between what we're seeing, we're seeing the temple as a place to worship. Jesus is purifying it, but now Jesus is talking about his body as the temple. There's a movement, there's a shift happening from temple as place to temple as person. Now, as it ends, John 2, 23 through 25, it says Jesus didn't entrust himself to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew what was in man. So, in, in that, that idea, the verbal idea is he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have faith in people. They had faith in him. Maybe they were believing because of his works. They thought his works were cool, but he didn't really, he didn't give himself to them because he knew it was in people. Uh, 
they had a problem that needed fixing, and he came to address the issue with his body. Now, in the moment while I was preaching, and I'm grateful for these moments, I don't really share when they happened, uh, but those connections happen fairly regularly. When you're seeing a passage, and you're teaching a passage, and things come to mind as you're you're there, and I kind of have to run it through my own grid and go, okay, is this making sense? So my mind is kind of filtering something as I'm even talking. But there's this statement about Jesus' desire for pure worship, that's the first part of the passage. Then I said, there's this ending where Jesus doesn't trust people because he knows what's in man. How do you get from Jesus knowing what's in us, which is dark and in need of redemption, how do you get from that to pure worship? Well, you only get to pure worship through the temple of his body. That You can only become right with God by coming to God. You can't come to a place. You can't come to something holy some place holy. You have to go to the person. So the idea as we ended it was you have to be made pure through Jesus so that you can truly worship the Father. So you have to trust in the resurrected Christ for your salvation and you have to pursue God with joy. Now I, sh- I should have or could have. I say should but I could have spent more time there at the end highlighting that you come to Jesus not just because he's trendy, not just because he's neat, not just because you know you think it's cool, but because he's the only way we get access to our heavenly Father. And then it finished with if that's but if you have trust in Jesus, pursue God with joy because you can. So there you go. For those of you who missed it, I'm very sorry that the live stream didn't quite work right, but happy to do this. If these are a benefit to you. Let me know. But just kind of a sermon synopsis in roughly 15 minutes. Hope it was well. Hope you have a great Monday.